Welcome to the Real American History Podcast. This is a new podcast brought to you by the Conservative Daily Podcast Network. My name is Max McGuire. You might know me from the Conservative Daily Podcast. We we do that twice daily. It's more of a political uh, commentary show. But if you've been following the podcast for a while, you know that we used to do history-themed podcasts, usually history podcasts on the weekends. Well, we decided to launch this into its own podcast channel. So that's what this is. This is real American history. This is the history that the liberals don't want to teach in schools. And that's what we're going to give you. Now, if you think about every year that goes by, American history gets longer and longer and longer. But if you realize, if you actually look, the history books they're they're teaching in schools, they're not getting any longer. In fact, they're actually kind of paring down different historical lessons to make room for the crazy stuff that the left is putting in these books. So a lot of the great stories of American history are getting glossed over or even just bastardized by people who would much rather teach of of American greed and American failure than teach of American greatness. So that's what this podcast is all about. We're going to focus on real American history the way it should be taught. And we're going to do, just like we do on the Conservative Daily Podcast, we're going to do a deep dive into these things. These are probably going to be between 30 minutes and an hour an episode, um, probably closer to 30 minutes. And we're going to talk about different parts of American history. So the way I want to do this is I want to have a different podcast eventually launch every single day of the week and have one day where every Monday, for example, we talk about different American heroes. Every Tuesday, we talk about American villains. Every Wednesday, maybe we talk about American battles. Every Thursday, maybe we talk about American conspiracies. And on Friday, we actually do a deep dive into the craziness that the left is trying to teach kids these days about American history in the curriculum. So that's how I envision this. It's probably going to take a little while to ramp up to that, but this is the inaugural episode of Real American History, and we're going to talk about a hero. Now, if you've been listening to the Conservative Daily Podcast for a while, you've heard a very abbreviated version of this story, but we, I want to talk today about Samuel Whittemore. Samuel Whittemore is one of the, in my opinion, one of the great heroes of the early American Revolution. He I mean, unless you go to Arlington, Massachusetts, that's the only place you'd ever find anywhere named after him. He has a little park in Arlington, Massachusetts, and a little kind of monument talking about the brave acts that he did on April 19, 1775. But I want to tell this story because it's an interesting story, and it, it's a story. It's a true story of Americana. So Samuel Whittemore, we don't know a lot about his early life. It's presumed that he was born in England and that he came over here to fight for the British during King George's War, specifically at the Battle of Lewisburg. Now, King George's War was was a war that raged in the 1744 to 1748 between England and the French. So there was a big campaign, mostly through the American continent and into Canada. And Samuel Whittemore was there. He was one of the dragoons. Now, the dragoons were on horseback. They were mounted um, cavalry, very well-trained, and very ferocious fighters. So Samuel Whittemore was a dragoon, and we don't know a lot about this. I mean, some of it's been passed on through oral history. But we know that during, that during this campaign, Samuel Whittemore told people that he came upon a ceremonial sword, and he got it from an opponent who, in his words, just died suddenly. Obviously, Samuel Whittemore likely killed this man and got the French ceremonial sword. 
but that's the story that he tells. And that, that's a, a depiction, a, a kind of sword that he would have gotten. So Samuel Whittemore came over to the United States to fight in the king's army. And the way history tells it, he never left. He decided to stay here after and, and make a life for himself in the American colonies. So after participating in the uh, King George's War in, in the 1740s, the next battle that he actually participated in was the French and Indian War also known as the Seven Years' War. Now, this was a gruesome war. Anyone who's, who's learned about this in history class, you know just how hard fought this war was. And you had the British going up against the French and their Native American, or as the name implies, Indian allies. And this is one of the first instances, obviously the British won this war. But what shocked the British was that they were going up against guerrilla forces. Now, the Native Americans were not like European armies. They weren't going to line up on the battlefield and just take shots back and forth until one side had no people left. The Native Americans would ambush the British on the trails, on the roads, in the forests. It was gruesome, bloody battles. And there was one particular battle. There was one particular battle known as Pontiac's Rebellion. It's more of a campaign where the Native Americans actually rebelled and tried to take on the British. And that is what this painting depicts. The Native Americans coming out of the woods, attacking the British redcoats in full force. It was bloody. It was gruesome. I mean, hand-to-hand combat with, with axes, with tomahawks, with knives. Very, very gruesome. And then during these battles, again, we are told by history, Samuel Whittemore came out as a hero. So in, in Lewisburg, he got his ceremonial French uh, sword. During the French and Indian War, he's told he, he tells the story that he killed one of his opponents on the battlefield and was able to take as a trophy two dueling pistols. I'm telling you this because this is going to be important later on as we tell the tale of Samuel Whittemore. So we had two dueling pistols seen here. I mean, that's not the exact ones, but that's basically what they would have looked like at the time two dueling flintlock pistols. And again, he was heralded as a hero. Not enough to have songs written about him or monuments, but he was a man who did his duty for the British crown, fought in two campaigns that we know of, maybe more, and not only survived, but came out victorious in these in these battles. So again, after the war is over, he decides to settle in the Massachusetts area to build a life for himself. The wars were won. It was time for him to settle down and retire. What's interesting is that he started fighting in the British Army when he was in his mid-30s. So by the time this campaign had ended, he was in his 50s. So he's no spring chicken. Not at all. So he decides to settle in Massachusetts. And what he realizes very quickly is that the, the British crown that he had fought for is not as perfect as they told him when he was in the Army. So he started getting involved in local politics. He started getting involved in Cambridge politics, politics in different towns around Boston. I don't want to bore you. It's really interesting stuff. It's hard to read. I mean, thank goodness they took good notes about this. But when you go through history and you go through these local meetings as as the people of Boston were learning how to govern themselves and, and getting the courage to think that they could govern themselves without the British, without needing help from the British, Samuel Whittemore's name keeps coming up over and over and over again, over and over and over again. 
and he was in particularly named to a, what's called what was called the Committee of Correspondence. Now, this is how that Committee of Correspondence was depicted in British newspapers and in British political cartoons. Basically, a bunch of foolish people meeting in the room with with dogs fighting. Right? They called this a militia meeting. But the Committee of Correspondence in this in this one instance met to respond to what was called the Tea Act. And we've all heard the story of the Boston Tea Party. The Boston Tea Party Tea Act, it was a big tax on tea, three pence per pound, and it led to this Boston Tea Party where the Patriots went aboard the ship dressed as Native Americans and dumped all the tea into Boston Harbor. We all know that story. Well, Samuel Whittemore was one of the local politicians on this committee of correspondence trying to fight back, press back against the Tea Act, this tax on tea, before it boiled over into violence. And there is a letter that he signed his name onto, pressing back against the Tea Act. And it's so well written, I want to read a little bit of you, a, a little bit of it to you, because these are words that are just as important today as they were then. This is from Samuel Whittemore on this Committee of Correspondence. He says, quote, If we cease to assert our rights, we shall dwindle into supineness, and the chains of slavery shall be fast riveted upon us. The late act of the British Parliament empowering the East India Company to export tea on their own account and expose the same to sale is a recent proof of the determination of the ministry to pursue their diabolical plan to enslave the Americans. Now, what does that remind you of? If we cease to assert our rights, we shall dwindle into supineness and the chains of slavery shall be fast riveted upon us. I mean, think about what's going on in the United States with the vaccine mandates, with the mask mandates. He's talking about use it or lose it. If you do not fight for your rights, you will lose them. And I love that quote. And I want to read it. I've always loved that quote. And it's great that we're able to tell it in this this context. Obviously, words weren't enough. Obviously, the sternly worded letter from the Committee of Correspondence and other civilian bodies was not enough to stop the British from going their way, putting taxes on the colonists. And as I mentioned, it ultimately boiled over the Tea Act, ultimately boiled over into the Boston Tea Party. This podcast is sponsored by Air Med Care Network, the premier insurance plan to cover you and your household should any of you suffer a medical emergency and need to be airlifted to a hospital. We don't get to choose when a disaster strikes. You don't get to choose how you get taken to the hospital. Anyone who has been taken to a hospital or has a loved one who's gone to a hospital by ambulance, you know it's very expensive and you know insurance won't usually cover it. Well, when you have to be airlifted by a helicopter, it's much more expensive. And yeah, insurance won't cover that either. Air Med Care Network exists to make sure you don't risk bankruptcy in the event that someone in your house has to be airlifted to a hospital for medical treatment. So when you sign up at the link in our description, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily, and use promo code daily, not only are they going to give you coverage for your entire household for one year for $85, but they're also going to give you money back up to 50 bucks, depending on how many years you sign up for. So again, that's airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily, and use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. Now, this all came to a head eventually. We all know the story at the Battle of Lexington, the Battles of Lexington and Concord. We're talking about April 19th, 1775. Fast forwarding a couple years. April 19th, 1775, the British troops marched on Lexington and were met by 77 so-called Minutemen. These were not trained soldiers. These were farmers, blacksmiths, who, as the story goes, could on a minute's notice be called 
out of the fields, out of their homes, pick up their rifle and report to duty with the militia. So when the British marched, I believe they had over 700 men in their column. When they marched on Lexington Green, they came up across 77 colonists. And one of the officers in the British Army screamed out when they arrived at Lexington Green. He said, throw down your arms, ye villains, ye rebels. Well, it didn't really work. And, and this is the part where we really don't know what side fired first. There's correspondence from British soldiers, from British officers on the ground who were reporting to their superiors saying that the British side fired first. We don't know. But it's been characterized as the shot heard around the world, the first shot of the American Revolution. Now, I, I guess technically that would probably be the Boston Massacre if we want to get really technical. But that was a crime against the civilian population. This was an actual battle and it did not go well for the american colonists when the smoke all cleared eight of the militiamen were dead nine were wounded and on the other side on the british side only one redcoat was injured the american colonists these minutemen didn't even manage to kill any redcoats in the first volley this is how outgunned outmaneuvered they were so they ended up dispersing running away very smart move the first engagement between the American colonists and the British regulars was a British victory. The British then went through the town trying to find all of the arms, the cannons, the gunpowder. But, as history knows, Paul Revere's ride, the news got reached Lexington before the British arrived, and they were able to hide most of these armaments. So the British then go to Concord, a little bit up the road, another town, Concord. There they're met with similar kind of resistance, but most of the people had, at that point, gone into the woods to hide. And as the British are ransacking the town, again, looking for armaments, cannons, gunpowder, etc., they find some, and they decide that they're going to burn it. They're going to blow it up. Well, all of the townspeople, the Minutemen, in the forest hiding, thought that they were trying to burn the entire town of Concord down. And obviously that didn't sit well with the Minutemen and they decided to launch another assault. So they launched this assault on the North Bridge in Concord. And this is what really forced the British to retreat. You see, unlike in Lexington, where you had 77 um, uh, militiamen just lining up on the green, here at least there was some strategy and they ambushed the British as they were crossing the bridge, forcing the British to retreat. And this retreat, here's another example of, of uh, going after the British as they're retreating. This retreat is what ultimately changed Lexington and Concord from British victories into an American victory. Because as I said, the British, no one could go up against the British at Lexington. Even at Concord, when they were able to ambush them at the North Bridge, still, if the British were able to actually regroup, they could have easily routed the American rebels. They just didn't have the numbers. But it was enough to force the British to retreat because they, they had already been to Lexington and Concord. They saw that there was really nothing there for them to take. It wasn't worth fighting the American colonists. And they knew that the longer they stayed there, the more colonists were going to come from surrounding towns, surrounding fields, and attack them. So they decided to retreat. And this map on the screen shows their retreat. It is 18, 18-ish miles from Concord all the way back to Boston. Now, in a car, you could drive that pretty quickly. You drive it pretty quickly. But here, they're on horseback, but most of the soldiers are on feet, on foot. 
and they do have wounded. So it's a slow trek back to Boston. If you look at this map on the screen, you'll see that every couple miles there's a new engagement, a new skirmish, because word had gotten out. Sure, while the British were able to, to succeed at Lexington, yeah, they were pushed back at Concord. The last thing they wanted was to walk down, walk the, the road, because they were getting ambushed from all sides. And, and I showed this picture over here. This is what it looked like. The American colonists were setting up ambush points. They knew the British were coming. They had already watched them walk west. They just waited for them to turn around because they knew they were going to eventually come back east. So you had the British taking shots from the woods, shots from behind stone walls, shots from <laughs> under bridges. It was complete guerrilla warfare, and it reminded the British of the French and Indian War. Remember, many of the colonists here had fought in that French and Indian War, so they understood guerrilla tactics. They understood how to defeat the British. They knew they were no match for the entire British army on a field exchanging volleys. It was, it was a suicide mission. But they, so instead, they basically took the strategy from the Native, Native Americans in the French and Indian War and decided that they were going to ambush the British. And the British took tremendous losses. I mean, it was enough to turn this into an American victory. But eventually here, you can see monot monotony. There's the fight with Danvers militia, and then they think that they're in the home stretch. And eventually they reach a town called Arlington. And you can still go to Arlington, Massachusetts today. And when they got there, I mean, th this is what the, the, the farms in the area would have looked like at the time. Anyone who's been in New England, you know that there were these long stone walls and then there would be farm buildings behind it. That's what it would have looked like, different areas would have looked like when they reached Arlington back then. And that's when they came across the topic, the man of the hour, Samuel Whittemore. At this point, he was in his 80s. He was in his 80s. I believe he was 80. Some people say he was 78. I think that they got it wrong. Most of the historical accounts say he was 80 years old on April 19, 1775. So Samuel Whittemore was out in the fields when he saw the British retreating past his house. And he looked at his, his family members and said, I got to do something. And they all said, no, you can't. You're an 80-year-old man. You can't go up against the British Army. That is insane. Just go back to the fields. I mean, it's bad enough that they have an 80-year-old man working in the fields. But they said, just go back to the fields. Let them pass. Now's not the time. But Samuel Whittemore couldn't do that. He couldn't just let the British pass without putting up a fight. So Samuel Whittemore grabbed his musket. He grabbed that ceremonial French sword that he had captured during King George's War. And he took two loaded dueling pistols. Remember, the dueling pistols that he had captured off of a falling enemy during the French and Indian War. And he set up his ambush behind one of these kind of rock walls. As the British passed, he waited for them to walk past him. Obviously, you don't want to come out in front of them. As soon as the British had marched just past him, he stepped up from behind that stone wall, pointed his loaded musket at the British soldiers and at their backs, pulled the trigger, fired it, and killed one British soldier where he stood. The British, having experienced these kind of ambushes the whole way back, are freaking out. They don't know how many soldiers they're going up against, how many militia they're going up against, where they're going, where they're fighting from. They don't want to run into a trap. So they're freaking out. But Samuel Whittemore, cool head. He's just fired his musket. Now, anyone who's fired a muzzle-loaded musket, you know that it takes a long time to reload them. 
Sammy Whittemore at 80 years old was not the fastest reloader. He didn't have the most nimble fingers. So he did what any smart person would do. He fired his musket and then he tossed it aside. He'd be dead before he could reload it. He knew that. By this time, the British understood what was happening. They saw that they were going up against a lone 80-year-old man and started advancing on him, thinking that he had fired his shot and it was over. But that's the point where Samuel Whittemore pulled out those two French dueling pistols, pointed them at the advancing British officer, officers and fired both of them, striking two more British soldiers, killing them both where they stood. At this point, the British realized, like, whoa, okay, this we, we can't just take it easy on this guy. This guy is going to kill us all. So then they really start advancing on him. Samuel Whittemore, out of bullets, out of loaded guns, drops the dueling pistols and pulls out that ceremonial French saber and decides he's going to charge the British soldiers. That didn't go well. Samuel Whittemore, 80 years old, charged the British soldiers with the sword, and he was he was pretty much cut down. They shot him in the face with what's called a brown best. That's one of these big bore muzzle-loading uh, muskets, the British regulars. That's the kind of musket that they used. He, they shot him in the cheek. They shot him in the cheek with, I think it was like a 40 or 50 caliber ball. And just to see what happens when someone gets shot in the head with that, if you're watching the video version, you can see that is just a large hole in someone's skull. Now they hit him in the cheek. But it's still, it's, it's nothing, to, <laughs> nothing to joke around about. He got shot in the face with a musket, but that didn't stop Samuel Whittemore. He stayed on his feet and he kept fighting against the British soldiers. This man would not go down. At that point, they realized that this, they were obviously fighting a Terminator or something. And that's when they decided just to affix their bayonets and stab him as many times as they could. Samuel Whittemore was stabbed repeatedly with a bayonet. He was beaten and bloodied and left for dead, left for dead in the street. Now, here's a depiction of that. Now, you think that that would be the end of the story, that this man, against all odds, decided to go up against the most powerful military in existence on his own, 80 years old, with a musket, two dueling pistols, and a French saber. You'd think that that would be the end. The entire regiment decided to stab him, being in play, they shot him in the face. But that is not the end of Samuel Whittemore's story. Not even the slightest. You see, Samuel Whittemore survived. Not only did he survive, but he lived another 18 years. Just think about that. 80-year-old man takes on a, a Brit the British regulars. Shot in the face, stabbed repeatedly, beaten to a pulp. He lived another 18 years. And this is a this is a, a memorial that you'll find at Whittemore Park in Arlington, Massachusetts. It says, near this spot, Samuel Whittemore, then 80 years old, killed three British soldiers on April 19, 1775. He was shot, bayoneted, beaten, and left for dead, but recovered and lived to be 98 years of age. So why did I tell this story? Obviously, he killed three British soldiers and he survived to tell the, the tale. I mean, that, that's a victory. Why do I tell this story? I tell this story because Samuel Whittemore embodies the very American spirit that made the American Revolution possible. It was people like Samuel Whittemore who didn't have to fight, but chose to fight anyway, who literally turned the tide of this first battle. If the British regulars had not been ambushed along the road on their way back to Boston, it would have been a complete British victory. Sure, they got pushed out of Concord. But they got Lexington, they got Concord, they burned what they could, 
and they took a lot more militiamen than they lost themselves. It would have been a British victory. But on the way back, they took fire from everyone. Everyone <laughs> who had a gun was shooting at them. So not only did Samuel Whittemore embody the very spirit that helped America actually fight this revolution, it also put the fear into the British soldiers because not since the French and Indian War had they been forced to fight a guerrilla war. And any of the veterans who had fought in the French and Indian War, they know just how gruesome it was. If you got captured by Native Americans, you were likely to be scalped. It's gross, but that was what was going on. There were no prisoners in the French and Indian War, and they were terrified. They were terrified of close combat with the Native Americans. So as they're marching back to Boston thinking, oh yeah, we, we defeated them, that was easy. All of a sudden, they're getting hit with all these flashbacks of the French and Indian War as American colonists are shooting at them from the, from the woods, from behind walls, taking as many out as they can. And to see someone like Samuel Whittemore, 80 years old, he didn't have to fight. No one would have thought any less of him if Samuel Whittemore went inside and just drank some tea instead of shooting at the British soldiers. But he did it anyway because it was his duty. Even though he was a British soldier, he had come to love the United States. He became an American colonist. He, he made a life for himself here. And when he saw those British soldiers marching back after killing his brothers, his neighbors, he had no choice but to fight. So it's people like Samuel Whittemore that ended up winning us the revolution. Sure, you can go to the Battle of Yorktown, Saratoga, Ticonderoga. They're very important battles that we're going to talk about on this podcast in future episodes. But you wouldn't have had a Ticonderoga had it not been for people like Samuel Whittemore. Because as we're going to tell on another episode of this podcast, it was the heroism of the Samuel Whittemores and the other American colonists fighting off the British on their retreat back to Boston. It was that heroism that prompted a young American colonist named Benedict Arnold to take up arms and fight with the American colonists. Now, Benedict Arnold is synonymous with being a traitor, but it wasn't always like that. So without... The heroism of people like Samuel Whittemore, you would have no Benedict Arnold. You would have no Battle of Fort Ticonderoga. You, would ha ha you wouldn't have uh, Knox taking the cannons from Ticonderoga up to Breed's Hill. And you would have not ha have had those cannons force the, the British to retreat and evacuate Boston. We're going to get to all that. I, I, I went through that really quickly. There's going to be lots of episodes on those topics. But I just want to leave you with this. This man, his sacrifice, he didn't pay the ultimate sacrifice, but he got shot in the face, bayoneted and beaten to a pulp. His sacrifice had real effects. It inspired people, it inspired an American, the American colonists to take up arms and fight against the most powerful military on the face of the earth. So Samuel Whittemore, he deserves to be in my opinion, he deserves. He's probably the most, the first American badass. If we're if we're gonna if we're gonna give that award, he's definitely the first American badass. So I want to make sure he was the first episode. But we're gonna tell more stories. We're gonna tell more stories of unnamed heroes who fought in these battles, won wars for the United States. We're gonna talk about Medal of Honor recipients, Silver Star recipients. That's what I want to use this this series on American heroes. I want to tell those stories because. Those are the kind of stories that inspire people to love America, to fight for America. Whereas these days, all the left wants to do is, is say, GD America. Well, that's going to be it for this inaugural edition of the podcast. If you like it 
and you're watching on the Conservative Daily Podcast channel, make sure you go and subscribe to Real American History. You're going to find that everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, it's not up everywhere yet, but it will be everywhere. You can definitely go over there and follow it. Subscribe because we're going to be putting these out regularly. And I'm really excited to be able to tell these American history stories and, and, and really tell the narrative that the left wants us all to forget. One last bit, if you haven't already, make sure you head over to the Conservative Daily store. You can find that at store.conservativedaily.com, store.conservative-daily.com, and you're going to find a great apparel, t-shirts, tank tops, um, sweatshirts. Obviously, it's getting a little chilly. We have great sweatshirts up there. Help support our channel. Helps, help us grow this podcast and other podcasts and, and wear some, some, some pretty cool t-shirts I mean, I love them. We have the vaccine slavery t-shirt, the Buck Fiden, Let's Go Brandon, Unvaccinated Lives Matter, all t-shirts that are going to get you high fives from conservatives and sneers from liberals. So if you're looking for a t-shirt, especially as we go into the holiday season, to, to piss off some liberal friends or families of yours, family members of yours at the at the dinner table, this is definitely one of those to get. So again, go to store.conservative-daily.com to pick up one of these great shirts.